0: So, please have a seat and open your Bibles to John, chapter 16. Uh, This morning, I feel like the Lord has given us just the most beautiful passages of Scripture to look at. Uh, It's Jesus teaching us this morning. It's Him speaking Himself. And He's speaking to His disciples, but He's speaking to the church. And He's teaching and preaching to us the beauty of... And the benefit of his resurrection, of his death and his resurrection. So I will go through these verses with you. John chapter 16, we'll pick it up at verse 16 and I'll read through verse 24. And then we'll talk about a few things. What our hope was, or is, to have um, a little bit more concise sermon. I can get long-winded. I'm going to try to not do that as much this morning. But I do want to give proper time to let the Word of God speak to us. And then uh, the desire is to get back out of the way, me get out of the way, and just close up our time again in worship. So the worship team is ready to come back up afterwards, and as time allows, we'll sing uh, another song or two or three. So, um, John 16, verse 16. Jesus is talking here, okay? He's in the upper room with, at this point, with 11 disciples. Judas has departed, gone off into darkness, perpetually, very sad. But I'm not here to talk about what's sad, I'm here to talk about what Jesus is teaching us. And so he says in verse 16, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. Probably a reference back to something Jesus had just said in chapter 16, verse 10. I go to my Father and you see me no more. Okay? They said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while. We don't know what he's saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you, That you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow but I will see you again, I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice in your joy, no one will take from you, and in that day you will ask me nothing, most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you, until now you've asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full, that your joy may be full. So the scene, just to remind you all, is uh, Jesus is literally hours away from betrayal, arrest, trial by the Jews, trial by the Gentiles, which will result in his crucifixion. He's just hours away from this happening. He knows it. He's the only one in the room who knows that. Everybody else in the room is expecting something entirely different. That he's going to exert some how, some power and force and somehow bring a revolution. And Israel will become a nation again and Jesus will be their king. This is their long-awaited expectation and it was right. It was true. It's just the timing wasn't yet. So when he starts talking about going away, they're getting really bummed out. There's re- and he just he's not letting up on this. And it's, they're full of sorrow, and they're very confused. What Jesus is doing here is he's predicting, with 100 percent accuracy, his own death and resurrection. He's predicting with 100% accuracy and assurance the beauty and the benefit of his resurrection. He's predicting his departure because of death. A little while, I'm going away. He's predicting his return. A little while, you'll see me again. And he's guaranteeing that their sorrow will be turned into joy and it'll never depart from them. It'll be a permanent state of affairs in their life, in their soul. Your heart will rejoice. It actually came to pass. Let me just go there right now, right? So turn to John 20. See, whatever comes out of the mouth of Jesus, it's guaranteed to be true and it will be fulfilled. And so he predicted with 100% accuracy. So we see in John 20, verse 19... The same day, that is Sunday, day of his resurrection, at evening, being the first day of the week, Sunday, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, stood in the midst, and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad. Their sorrow just turned to joy. In Luke, and you can turn back to John 16. In Luke 24, his account, uh, says when Jesus came into the room, it says they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. They were so happy, they were so excited, they were so joyful that it was like, it was unbelievable to them, and rightfully so, right? Resurrection. And it didn't just end with them, it, it just kept going because once Pentecost came and Peter preached the first gospel message. People repented, came to faith. And it says in Acts chapter 2 that they received their food with joyful and generous hearts. Acts chapter 3, a lame man gets healed. He's walking and leaping and thanking God. And in Acts chapter 8, Philip goes into a city of Samaria. He preaches the gospel and it says there was great joy in that city. And I just want to tell you all right now, the greatest desire and joy in Jesus' heart, in spite of what he knew was coming, was that he could turn our lives into a life of joy and contentment in him. He took great joy and pleasure in doing this for us. Okay, and I'm going to beat that drum a little bit here with you this morning. But before I get into some of the texts, and we're going to mostly look at verses 20 to 22, I just want us to be reminded of the scene, the context in which all this is happening. Because it makes me so thankful for the Lord. And so I just admire him so much. Knowing what's coming, he's predicting his own crucifixion, he's done that numerous times. It still hasn't sunk in. They, they had such the conviction and they were so confident in what the, he was the king that they could never see this, this other way, this, this cross and all this horrible stuff that was going to happen. So painful. But look at the composure of Jesus. How would you feel if you had? The biggest test of your life and you knew it was coming (laughs) how do you feel about that butterflies to say the least but to know that certain persecution is coming your way and you're going to be martyred you're going to be put to death to know that is coming and to just calmly his composure but more than that brothers and sisters his concern for the men My goodness, what a great Jesus we have. His compassion for them. They're full of anxiety and confusion and sorrow. It's his desire. The very fact that he's even saying these things to them. He's he's revealing to them his, his goal, the outcome of this. When it's all said and done, you're going to receive the benefit of everything that I've done for you. And that's why I'm doing it. To turn your life from anxiety and confusion and sorrow and hopelessness to one of just a perpetual permanent state of joy. And we'll talk about that this morning. What is joy? That's kind of a hard thing to nail down, isn't it? What is blue? (laughs) Okay, so uh, I'll just throw out a bunch of words that will define joy. Uh, Delight. Uh, Joy is a positive attitude. It's to be well off. There's uh, a sense of rest and contentment. Joy, right? It's our disposition, really, that prevails in spite of circumstances and what's going on in the world around us. It's a disposition that Jesus intended and did deliver on his promise. Okay? Joy is fruit. It's one of the second, what is it? Love, joy, peace, right? Galatians 5.22. Joy is fruit. It comes from Jesus. Joy is produced by God, at least biblical joy. What we're talking about here, what Jesus is giving us, his desire to impart to us, is his joy, actually. We'll see that by the end of the message, right? Joy is given, it's produced, it's fruit. Uh, Eugene Peterson said, joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship, it's a consequence. (laughs) Well said. We don't acquire joy, it's what comes to us when we walk in the way of faith and obedience, all right? So hopefully that's a little bit helpful. Um, so let's look more closely now. Uh, John 16, we'll start at verse 20, where Jesus said, most assuredly. I'll remind you, some of you were here last week. Last week we looked at uh, John. Where were we last week? I forgot. We were in John. Oh, it doesn't matter. Sorry? John 12, thank you. John 12, 24. Most assuredly. Uh, New King James translation. Um, it literally means "Amen, Amen." Okay, in the original language, "Amen, Amen." So, just to remind you, we traditionally and almost always say amen, "almost always say Amen" at the end of a statement. And when we say "Amen," we're going, "That's true. So be it. Well said." Jesus says "Amen" in front of a statement, and he doubles it up. <laughs> All right. So you might say, truth, truth. Or this is true truth. This is absolute truth. Most assuredly, you can take this one to the bank, boys, as he's speaking to his men. Most assuredly, I say to you, I'm God, I can't lie. Therefore, most assuredly, amen, amen. John, it's very particular to John's gospel. He's the only one that uses this amen twice and he uses about 25 times and so here he is he's making a statement that when he says jesus says things like that then it causes us to step back and receive it he's telling us something that is factual and necessary for us to know and to live most assuredly i say to you you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice the world will rejoice why is that? Why will the world rejoice? Now we know that Jesus is predicting his crucifixion. Why will the world rejoice? And who is the world? It would be those who did not believe in Jesus. In the immediate context, it would be his enemies. The Jewish leaders that would stir up the mob and scream for his crucifixion. But most immediately it would be dead. They were like, yay. Now we can go on doing what we want to do without having our conscience pricked by that man who keeps speaking truth and doing things that we can't ignore the facts that he raised Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus said, the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy seems to me that the roles will be reversed, won't they? (laughs) When Jesus becomes alive again and he reveals himself to his disciples, the tables are turned. And now those who were sad and lamenting and grieving and, and had experienced some sense of hopelessness and such tremendous disappointment, maybe even a sense of betrayal, it's like you got us this far and then you left us. And you allowed them to do all that to you and to kill you. And now he's alive again. And so they turn into joy and everybody else. It's not stated, but it would seem... Well, actually, we do know that the those who rejoiced became full of anxiety. And they were scrambling, went crazy, scrambling, trying to cover it up and make believe it didn't happen. So when the roles are reversed, then what? What about those who push Jesus out of their life Well, what do you do when you know this about him, but you refuse to accept him? You do what man does. You go to work. That's what we do. I'll just indulge myself in everything that gives me meaning in life and identity. I'll go to work. And you live at your own risk. I'm here to just talk to you straight up. You live an extremely dangerous and precarious life of knowledge of the truth about Jesus but denial of his salvation and authority in your life. You can't unhear what you've heard, friends. And if you're not in a personal relationship with Jesus, you will be held accountable for that. Again, Peterson. A common but futile strategy for achieving joy is trying to eliminate things that hurt. Get rid of pain by numbing the nerve ends. Get rid of insecurity by eliminating risks. Get rid of disappointment by depersonalizing your relationships. And then try to lighten the boredom of such a life by buying joy in the form of vacations and entertainment. (laughs) Let's move on to the good news, shall we? (laughs) Your sorrow will be turned to joy. I so appreciate David Guzik, who made a very good observation. He said he didn't say he replaces your joy. He said, I'll turn your joy. I'll turn your sorrow into joy. I'm not going to replace your sorrow. I'm just going to turn your You're just going to have an entirely different disposition now when you see me alive, when I come back from the dead after accomplishing your salvation, right? And so the fact that he doesn't replace joy with the sorrow, or sorrow with the joy, it tells me a very good thing. And it's good for us to hear this, church. It tells me that joy can live, coexist with sorrow and anxiety and pain and suffering and grief and confusion and all the normal things that afflict us in human life. And that's where Paul, the apostle, becomes the poster child man, (laughs) right, for that. Because that's how Paul pretty much lived once he went out spreading the gospel in the world. And he said a couple of things. I'll just quick quotes uh, 2 Corinthians 6. Paul says, Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. 2 Corinthians 7, I'm overflowing with joy in all our afflictions. Amen. So it tells me something about the power the resurrection power of Jesus in me that he establishes me on in a relationship with God that is unchanging and he puts within and because of that I have this prevailing disposition this permanent state of joy of calm well-off delight in spite of what's going on it's not contingent on if my retirement account is increasing or not depending on the stock market right I don't like looking at it when it goes down and you lose a third of its value that stinks right but it's like that's not my that's that's not good news but I still have joy because I know that God is my father and Jesus is my brother and he's given me his holy spirit It's an unchangeable thing, regardless of consequence. Fight with my wife. I still have joy, even though I'm like in turmoil. It doesn't happen very often, don't worry. (laughs) But sometimes. Now, here's the thing your sorrow will be turned to joy. How can that be true? How can you take such a desperate situation in the hearts of these men who had pinned all their biblical hopes on Jesus and how can it be turned to joy? Simply because he came back out of the grave. Because he came back out. Y'all know, hopefully, that Good Friday... This whole experience, the weekend that we've been thinking about and reading through and praying about (laughs) and just our relationship, do you realize what it is or what it was rather? It was the day of atonement. That's what it was. Yeah, I know it was Passover. Jesus intentionally, he's the lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. So yes, he was fulfilling the, the whole Passover type that we saw in Exodus but he, most importantly, he was acting as a high priest. It was the day of atonement. It was the one day in the biblical calendar for the Jews when the high priest would go into the presence of God with an offering of sacrifice for the sin of all the people. It's the only time in the year that that one man was, would go do that. And he did it at the risk of his own life. Leviticus 16 This is what I'm talking about right now. So do you know that the only way to determine if the high priest's offering of the uh, uh, offering for sin was accepted for us, the only way to know if it was accepted was what? If he comes back out. If it's not accepted, he dies in the presence of God. The very first high priest, Aaron, He was the very first high priest of all the long lineage of high priests in the Jewish life, right? His very own sons had gone in unauthorized into the presence of God, and they died in God's presence prior to Aaron ever doing the Day of Atonement for the first time. So believe me, when he goes in, it was, oh my goodness, how personal it was for him to have seen two of his four sons die. So he goes in, right? He's shaking. <laughs> I got to do this right, right? And it's not just, not just that I do it right. It's that the, everybody is depending on me to represent them before God. He, the high priest was mediating on their behalf. One man for all the people, the day of atonement. And the only way to know if the offering that was given was if the high priest came back out. If he didn't come back out, then we're still in our sin and we're hopeless. God hasn't forgiven us. That's why, brothers and sisters they would ultimately come to know Jesus would appear to them and he'd give them Bible study before he went back to heaven. And when he went back to heaven, he'd send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would lead them into truth. And they came to realize that no, it wasn't just a major disappointment that Jesus didn't put the crown on his head. He actually did way more than we ever expected. He gave us a change inside of our soul. We've gone from we personally have gone from dead in sin and trespass to alive to Jesus. Born again, fresh start. Beautiful. That's why that's true. That's why it can be turned. His resurrection brings a permanent change of relationship. Karen, if you just put that Romans verse on the scripture, uh, a Roman scripture on the screen, please, what I meant to say. All right, Romans four twenty-five. right over into chapter 5, right? You can read it. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, I want to just step back for a moment. I want you guys to all think about this with me. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Their general well being, the emotional and mental health of these disciples, is completely tied to their relationship with Jesus. As he rises and falls, so they go. When he falls, they're depressed. When he rises, they're, jap- they're, ho- they're happy. It's jappy. Sorry. They're happy. They're joyful. Combine those two words. Right? And so it is true for all of us. And so it's true for anybody. Mankind' general well-being is tied to their relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's not to say that if you have emotional or mental health issues, that you're not a Christian or that you don't have sufficient faith. These men had faith. They believed in Jesus Christ. Peter had declared for on behalf of all of them, you're the son of God. Well said, Peter. They had faith. Nor does it mean... If your general well-being and and emotional and mental health is not great, it doesn't mean that you have unconfessed sin in your life. It might, but it's not true for them. They're just sitting there trying to figure out Jesus. But my point is, their general well-being is completely tied up in their connection with him or not. When he's departed, when he's far away from them, they are sorrowful and they feel sad and they're full of anxiety and confusion. And it's not good. And it's true for all men. And when we have knowledge of Jesus and we put him out of our life, how's that going? It's not going to go well. Or like Peterson said, you're going to default. You're going to just buy a whole bunch of entertainment and take vacations and put steak on the grill and try to make yourself happy or pour yourself into your work. Verse 21, a woman when she is in labor, this is an interesting thing. Jesus is talking to these men about a woman having a baby. (laughs) A woman, which is a really interesting example, right? A woman when she's in labor has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she's given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into her life. She no longer remembers. I think there's a beautiful lesson for us right there. She no longer, she obviously can't forget all the pain she just went through, right? It's just that she's so in love with this new life that has been given to her, that all of her focus and attention is on that, on him or her, right? And so she's not looking and remembering, if you will, although she hasn't forgotten it. She's just not remembering. She's choosing not to remember that. And she's looking at what is true, this beautiful child, this new life that has just drawn her love, unbelievable love for a man or a woman, for that matter, any parent, right? So, brothers and sisters, a wonderful lesson right there for every one of us. Stop looking at all your weaknesses and failures. It's just going to depress you. And choose to look at Jesus... And your forgiveness and the life that you've received from Him. It's a choice. It's a choice that we will always need to make frequently. Especially when you've had a bad day or a bad week. Right? You go and you're just in the weight of sin and condemnation and guilt is, is, seems overwhelming to us. It, it's, it's Paul, Romans 7. Right? Oh, wretched man that I am. But thanks be to God, through my Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. So just choose to look at the Lord. Look at the life that he's given you. Is It is better for us to do that. All right? And then the Lord says in verse 22, Therefore now you have sorrow, but I will see you again. I will come back out. I love those words, and I, and I wanted to talk to you briefly about the Day of Atonement, and that's why I went through all that, because the Lord is the high priest. He's our mediator for all men. He died for all men. And because He's God, his, the, the, the efficacy of His offering is, ef, is effective for all men, for all time, and for our whole lives. Okay? So that's why it's so important that you have sorrow now. But I will see you again. I will come back out. Which proves that what I accomplished on the cross satisfied God's wrath for my sin. And therefore, we're not under that spell any longer. Because I've come back out. Otherwise, how do we know? We don't know. Jesus said, it's finished. I've paid the debt, in other words. Well, that's a wonderful statement. But how do I know? He came back out. That proved that everything that He had done for us had, had, said, had bought our salvation for us. He's redeemed us and ransomed us from the penalty of sin and death. I will see you again. I guarantee you that when the Lord had time with his men, he walked them through the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. And he goes, that's me, that's me, that's me. You know one of the beautiful things, by the way, that in the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, after Aaron would come back out, it was then, after he came out, after he came out, everybody goes, oh, that's awesome. Well, there was one more little ceremony that they would do they would take a live goat, Aaron would conf- put his hands on the head of this critter, he'd confess the sin of all the sin of the people and then they'd send the goat, the scapegoat out into the wilderness, symbolizing your sins put away from you as far as the east is from the west. It's forgotten by God because of the finished work of the high priest. Thank you Jesus. In other words, we're justified. I've been made right. In God's eyes he has done that and he so loves us that he did this to give us joy just that calm steady prevailing disposition of it is well with my soul I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you <laughs> No, that's because you've been justified I am now in a relationship with Jesus, with God the Father because of what the Lord has done that you can't take my joy away because I didn't earn it. He gave it to me. As soon as he came into my life, when there was faith, he gave me that confidence that when I die, I go into his presence because he came back out, because he's alive. Now, I want to close back in chapter 15 of John and just make a little bit of an application. We're doing good here on our time. I think we'll have a chance to sing some more worship afterwards. But John 15, and look at verses 9, 10, and 11 with me. I want to read these carefully. John 15, 9, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Contingency. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, my joy, might remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, by the way, in verse 10, he said, you, uh, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, right? My love, my joy. Chapter 14, verse 27, my peace I give unto you. That's a fruit of the Spirit. This is all fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing I want us to realize, that in the context of what Jesus is saying here, we become stewards of his joy. We, you and I, who are born again, we become stewards of the joy that he has given us. And what I mean by that is he's saying, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments. And I've spoken to you that my joy... Now, Jesus had perpetual, never-ending joy because he had no sin in his life, and so he had complete, full access to God all the time. And therefore, there's this mutual interchange of love and fellowship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit at all times, 24-7, for the 33 years of his life, until he was on the cross and there was that radical separation. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? My love, because of his obedience... My joy might be in you. In other words, we have a responsibility now with the joy that the Lord has given us, which is to keep his commandments. So what is his commandment? What's his primary commandment? It's to love one another. That's what he said when he on Monday, Thursday, <laughs> if you tracked that through the weekend, right? Thursday night was when he washed the disciples' feet and he broke bread with them, right? And at the end of that little symbolic ceremony, he said, now I've given you an example. In, in my washing your feet, I've demonstrated to you what I will accomplish on the cross. I will justify you by forgiving you all of your sin for your whole life. Now I've given you an example. I want you to do the same. And that's our stewardship of the joy that he has given us. We receive his joy because we've been forgiven. And the Lord says, now I want you to keep my commandments so that you will abide in my love. And I've given you my joy I want you to be good stewards of the joy that I've given you based on your forgiveness. In other words, brothers and sisters, how are we to love one another? By forgiving one another. I found it very interesting that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, that Lazarus came walking out of the grave bound in grave clothes. Now, Jesus, who said, Lazarus, come forth could easily have raised the man right up out of those grave clothes. But he didn't do that. But he said to the family, he gave them two commands. Unbind him and let him go. And I think those two commands have very deep meaning. And you can expand that out into, how am I to forgive one another? I'm to unbind them from the sense of responsibility that I'm holding over their head I'm to unbind them and let them go let it go forgive them that's the stewardship of the joy that Jesus has given us it's right there in the text you unbind him you let him go, set him free do what I have done to you result For Lazarus and his family, reconciliation and joy. He's alive again. My friend, who I had slandered because of what they've done to me, gossiped and stabbed me in the back and blah, 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 blah. But the Lord gave me an example. When I wrestle through it all and I come to the place where I'm just going to let this go. And then there's a reconciliation and there's a joy. It gets renewed. You can't live in sin. It gets kill joy. <laughs> right? David, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, Because for about a year he went with unconfessed sin. That's all. He did terrible, terrible things, but he wouldn't admit it to God or anybody. But when he finally got busted and he owned it and he repented and confessed openly, brazenly, as my granddaughter taught me last night, brazenly, his plea was restore the joy. And it came, you can be sure. We kill our joy when we don't forgive. You know what's weird? Is when you don't forgive, the Lord also taught us in another place, that we get bound up and we lose our own freedom. Be good stewards, church, of the joy that Jesus has given us. And I wonder, with all that teaching from the Lord, it, it makes me think about the parable of the talents. He gave five here and three here and one there. And for the first two, they the lord returns and he says well done good and faithful servant Enter into the joy of the lord and i thought i wonder what the talent was i always thought it was something they'd done or some responsibility they had what well, was responsibility maybe it was the fact that there was much sin and they had forgiven much in the relationships that they had around them and the lord's like well done enter into the joy of the lord And the Lord promises us here in chapter 15, verse 11, your joy may be full. Your joy will be full. You know what that really means? It means that you don't need to look anywhere else. It means that there is no other supplement necessary. He will satisfy me continually as we walk in obedience with him. Why? Because I live in the truth of his resurrection. It is resurrection power every single day of our lives. He's in my life. Yeah, there's sin, there's doubt, there's confusion, all this junk that lives in our head. But I tell myself what is true. I know you're alive. I know that you're good, that you're compassionate and concerned for my well-being in that state. And it was your desire to put joy in my life in the first place. Praise you, Jesus. And thank you so much. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord. You know what, church? Why don't you just bow your heads and just privately just thank your Jesus while the worship team comes up and we'll just go right into some singing. But just thank God. Thank you, Lord.